Hello and welcome back or welcome for the first time to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett. I am a child therapist who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina, and this is a podcast dedicated to play therapy and child therapy coming at both of those things from a child-centered perspective. And there are a lot of things going on in the world right now, and if you would rather spend your time listening to people discuss systemic oppression or the reality of the murder of black Americans at the hands of police or any of the wise scientists who are spending their time and energy attempting to understand the coronavirus and how we can respond to it, then go listen to those things. Give yourself permission to just turn this off. But if you are available for listening to something else at the moment, I am happy to have you and happy that you are here. And the topic for today's episode is children who see things that aren't there, see people that aren't there, see creatures that aren't there, or demons that aren't there, or hear voices that appear to be coming from inside of them and that no one else can hear. And what I do not want to do on this episode is spend too much time attempting to explore or explain what these phenomena are or even why they're present or whether or not they're real. So if you are someone who already believes that you have the knowledge that when children experience these things that they are simply delusional and hallucinating and that they need to stop being delusional and stop hallucinating because the fact that they are experiencing these things means that there's something wrong with them. I would like to extend a sarcastic tip of my hat to you. It seems that you already have this thing under control, and I will also give you a disingenuous pat on the back as you continue to go about attempting to sterilize and control these aspects of the human experience that you don't actually really understand. However, if you are on the other end of that spectrum and believe that these creatures, people beings that children see are real, that they are tapped into some kind of spiritual dimension that may be closer to children than it is to teenagers and adults by virtue of them being more connected to their essence. I'm not going to sign on to that perspective during this podcast. I'm not going to sign on really to any perspective of trying to concretize what these children are experiencing inside of this podcast. But I do think that there is space for you here and space for that perspective here and that the way that I go about working with these children could work for you. Throughout my practice in my life, I have had the experience of meeting and working with a number of children who have had these phenomena occur to them, whether it's seeing someone or seeing what has been described to me as demons or hearing voices or having imaginary friends of some kind or even benevolent beings, right? They don't always have to be 
these sort of beings that are coming after them or attacking them or trying to do something to them, though that seems to be more common, at least in the children that I've seen. But I also know that I'm not the only therapist around who has these things happen. I've been asking colleagues of mine and a number of people I know both have children on their caseload who have had these kinds of experiences and many people I know have had these experiences themselves when they were children. And I was digging around for some data online. There was a study and from 2019, I'm forgetting the authors right now, but I'll put this study in the show notes, and they found that 17% of the children in that study between the ages of 9 and 12 had experienced some kind of visual or auditory phenomenon that was not occurring for the people around them, that was only occurring for them. And that's a high number. Right? I mean, we're talking about about one in five children at that age, at least in this study, having had this occur. So I want to say that piece at least to normalize it, right? To say that this is not some phenomenon that happens to like one in a thousand children somewhere, that if you have someone who comes into your office and says that I saw X, Y, and Z kinds of things, I think that there can be a reactionary response. Whenever I've brought this material to a supervisor I have, or even to some colleagues, they often suggest, oh, you should go get testing, or you should get a psychiatrist involved, or you should try to do all these different things to try to squash this thing. I think that these phenomena can make people feel afraid, and my goal or hope in terms of this podcast if nothing else, is to simply normalize it, to be able to hold it, to be able to hold it and say, okay, this happens to a large number of people. And I feel very uncomfortable saying that one in five children, if that's the sort of arbitrary-ish number that we're using for this, are crazy or are totally disconnected or are in need of some kind of medication or help to make sure that this doesn't happen anymore, which isn't to say that at times for these children, For lots of these children, that having this happen isn't scary. It is scary. Oftentimes, these children want these these things to stop. And when that is the case, obviously, our work with them is to help them develop a different relationship to this thing where it's not as distressing, which can often look like helping this thing disappear or become less, at the very least, or to give them some feeling of control inside of this process. But I feel very uncomfortable saying that these children are crazy, and I also feel very uncomfortable saying that these things only happen as the result of distress inside of a person's life. I have certainly come across children who are doing well in a variety of different areas of their experience, but who continue to have these phenomena, have had these things pop up for them. And at this point, I want to talk about how I hold these things in seeing these children, and that's pretty much going to be the focus of this podcast. I'm not as concerned about, okay, what sort of method are we going to use? I'm child-centered, so even when I'm talking to a child, I'm generally person-centered. I'm not attempting to move them any way inside of their experience, at least at first, or especially at first. I'm just trying to meet them. I'm just trying to meet them. 
if I have a child who's struggling with these phenomenon and we're doing play together, I might let them know, or I probably will let them know, that I am aware that these things happen for them, and occasionally or often this sparks a conversation. But if they choose to not have that conversation and they choose to play instead, back in the days when I used to have an office with toys and we, I would play with children, which I'll probably go back to soon, I'm definitely... My heart goes out to all you play therapists on there still doing telehealth because uh, it's a pain in the butt at times to do, and that feels worth saying. But back to what we were talking about, if a child chooses not to talk about these things, I still believe that these things can be healed through play. But again, we're not going to talk about specific interventions. We're talking about the place to get to, perhaps, or a place that I get to for myself that is helpful in working with these children and working with this material and holding this material. What we bring as therapists in ourselves, in the way that we approach something, from my perspective, is infinitely more important than whatever action steps we choose to do. So when a child brings in this kind of material, just like in being child-centered, just like in being person-centered, we accept that individual's lived reality of this experience, and we communicate to that individual that we understand it, that we believe it, and that we're there with them in what they are experiencing. We're witnessing it, and we're holding it. And so it does not matter to me in the slightest what a child says about their experience. I certainly can feel inside of myself when some children have shared something that falls in that, you know, paranormal, seeing things that aren't there kind of a boat where it's like, ooh, maybe you are tapped into something, but I take that voice and I put it on the shelf. It's like it doesn't really matter what my interpretation of this is, because if I get too sucked into, say, like whether or not I believe them, even on that positive end, even if that feels good, because that's what I'm trying to do anyway, is communicate to them that I believe them. There are inevitably times when a child shares something and I'm like, yeah, I think you saw that on TV, or I think you're just saying that, or I think it doesn't feel like it has the same kind of gravity as these other times, and so I could feel more pulled to dismiss it or ignore it. And instead, I practice not even asking myself that question of whether it's real or whether it's not real, whether I'm asking myself that question in a session or I'm asking myself that question after a session because my own thoughts and feelings about what their experience is are ultimately irrelevant in the process of connecting with them and meeting them inside of that experience. As soon as we begin the process of attempting to determine like, oh, I wonder if this thing is true, or oh, I wonder if this thing has roots in some kind of trauma, or in their family experience, or maybe this is their super ego gone whack and wreaking havoc on them, or maybe they're getting some kind of warning for something, or maybe they are more connected to some kind of spiritual thing, or what if there are ghosts in the world? All of those questions are really questions that I need to answer for myself about what I think is true or not true about the human experience. And if I'm interacting with a child and they bring up something that makes me question the nature of reality, well, fine. I can question my reality on my own time. I can question my reality not in relation to what this person is sharing because this thing is about them and their healing anyway. And spend my own time reflecting on like, the 
vast mystery of life here in this universe. And so I say all that to say that any question that we ask about the validity of what they're saying pulls us out of a space of empathy, pulls us out of a space of connection, and limits our ability to really meet them with it, to understand their perspective with it. A different way to go about it, then, is to use our imaginations, to do some active imagination. If I'm seeing a child who says that I sometimes see a creature out of the corner of my eye and I'm scared that it's going to hurt me, I don't want to ask, like, okay, what is that creature? I don't want to ask, like, uh, what's, what's going on with you to make this happen and how do we get control of this thing? The first and perhaps the only thing that I want to do is to be able to understand that it is really scary to see a little creature out of the corner of your eye that you think is going to hurt you, that it's frightening, that it's alarming, that it's destabilizing, and we can meet them in that space and have empathy for all of the varieties of emotion that come up. If I'm asking any questions of myself about a child's experience of something like that, the only questions I really want to be asking are, what is your experience of that thing? How can I understand that better for you? What emotions are going on inside of you? And asking them directly those questions isn't very helpful because... Asking children any direct kinds of questions can be not really very helpful at times, especially about something like this, but being able to meet it, being able to reflect back to them like, ah, the fear that must have been present for you when that happened. Or I'm imagining what it would be like to see a little demon creature out of the corner of my eye and I feel I feel scared inside I feel frozen inside whatever that those reflections are and obviously those are just kind of random they would be individualized to the experience of that child to the work with that child to whatever's bubbling up inside of ourselves as we have communication with that child about this thing and then we can meet them there with it I have heard stories of children who have gone to see therapists and have had this experience when I have listened to a supervisor I've had and referred a child to a psychiatrist due to these things that often when a child experiences this, they can be labeled as crazy. They can be given medicine to help suppress these things, and then they can be given the message that if this thing happens again or when it happens again, it is a sign that your mind is messed up and that you need to get that under control in facilitation with these adult experts who are going to help tamp that thing down so you don't have to feel it anymore. But you've been given the label that you're messed up and you've been given the signal that when this happens, it means that something is bad and that something is wrong. And I got to say, that doesn't seem to be particularly helpful for things like this, that a person can then spend their life believing that they're crazy, that when this happens, that means that they're crazy. They can internalize this idea that they're not a healthy person and then live their lives constantly in fight with this thing and constantly trying to suppress it. The other side of it, the side of meeting a child in that space is... Allowing that to unfold however it unfolds, trusting in the child that their 
relationship to what they're experiencing can and will change through connection, through having it being witnessed, through unconditional acceptance, both of themselves as a person and what they're experiencing. It allows whatever energy that we're bringing into the session to become connected to that space. It lets the child know that they can share literally any element of that experience and we will accept it, which allows them to be vulnerable. They know that when they share it, we're not going to react and call them crazy. They know that when we share it, we're not going to throw a bunch of different coping skills at it to try to get it to go away. They know that when they share it, we're going to meet them, we're going to accept them, and we're going to be with them as they continue this struggle with this thing. And I feel very confident in saying that when that is done, when that child is met in that way, that things do start to change and things do start to shift, that that place can become softer. I have had children who have had the experience of having that thing lessen and lessen and lessen and go away. It just loses its intensity when it's out in the open and it's held by another person with them in a therapeutic way. I have also had children who would start to experience, say, more of a different connection to that thing, where they're actually receiving something from what they see that they weren't receiving before, that the relationship becomes more, whether it's cooperative or supportive or something like that, that it doesn't necessarily go down in terms of frequency, though it usually does to some degree but that it also can just shift and be a different part of their life, that what they were experiencing, they were experiencing with a high level of fear and anxiety, but when that fear and anxiety has started to lessen, they've been able to lean in a little bit more to what else this experience could bring. When they experience a little bit more regulation, they don't just get all frightened and frazzled when something like this shows up. They can approach it from a little bit more of a regulated place and receive something different the next time that they go there. It does feel important to name at this juncture that if you are seeing a child who is, say, encountering a being that no one else can see or hearing a voice that no one else can hear that is telling them to kill themselves or to murder their entire family or something like that, that we're dealing with I wouldn't say a different thing at that point, but a thing that might be more serious, a thing that might need some support or consultation or outside intervention around. And I don't feel comfortable ending this podcast without naming that, that as much as we want to be accepting of all of a child's experience as much as we want to hold it with them as much as we want to integrate our relationship into that experience to help them move through it that something on that level I do believe should still be met with that same presence and awareness on our end of meeting them at that experience of not injecting our own fears into that experience but at that point we're obviously dealing with something that there, there's more potential for danger in that scenario 
but I find those kinds of scenarios to be the exception and not the rule. If we're saying that something like one in five children or many children, probably more than one in five, honestly, experience something in the realm of hallucinations or in the realm of visions and that kind of a thing that most of them are not saying to murder people and most of them do not have to be received by us with any level of fear or anxiety or like, oh no, what's going to happen and can this child hold this and is this thing going to get worse? Like we need to be able to set those things to the side. We need to be able to approach them with acceptance and with that trust, that deep, deep trust that they are able to move through this and can potentially even gain something from this experience, gain some depth from this experience, gain some wisdom from this experience and an ability to be tested in this kind of a way and to experience these different levels of life and continue to be themselves and to be whole and to have a different perspective on the other side. And that's very different than pathologizing them. That's very different than attempting to sterilize their experience and dismiss it and call them crazy, which is what we're doing when we say that this thing isn't normal. Because I do believe also that in approaching these children with acceptance, for myself and my work at least, it has challenged me to be deeper in my attunement to children. It's challenged my judgments and prejudices about life and about the human experience. It's allowed me to take a step back and say like, well, I don't know if there are ghosts or not. I don't know if there are spiritual entities or not. I don't feel comfortable saying that I know more than this person does about their experience of this thing. And instead, we can learn from children. We can just exist inside of the space if you've got kids in your caseload right now and you're a therapist who experienced this or you're a parent and one of your children is experiencing this we can just take it for what it is we don't have to concretize it at all and try to make it something right but we we want to we want to we want to try to have control over it we want to try to make boundaries and structures for it we want to say that we know exactly what it is so we can have the remedy to fix this thing and find the right medicine for the right problem and in reality We really don't know. We're trying to know, but we really don't know. And being able to sit with that we don't know and accept and hold what's happening in the room can both have a positive and healing impact for the children that we see, whether that's in the lessening of these kind of phenomenon or in them having a different relationship to these kind of phenomenon. And we can also experience a change inside of ourselves, a new openness inside of ourselves, a new way to relate to people and honor people and their experiences rather than judging and pathologizing. And that's all I've got for this spooky pseudo spiritual episode of Playtime. Thank you for taking your time to listen to Playtime. It is a miracle to me that anyone listens to this and gets something out of it. And I just want to give a big old thank you and a virtual hug to everyone who has made this a part of their lives. It's added meaning to my life and for everyone who's reached out to share that they have been impacted by the show in some way. It fills 
my heart with warm goodness, and I couldn't be more grateful. Check out BarnettChildTherapy.com for some child-centered children's books if you feel like you want to explore children with more empathy and get their perspective on sharing, say, or anger. I have tried my darndest to write books from the perspective of a child that feels true to their experience. And if you pick those up and feel that it resonates, I'd love to know. If you feel it doesn't resonate, I'd also love to know because feedback is always welcome, which is why you can get in touch with me whenever you like at barnettchildtherapy at gmail.com. And I will see you all next time.